what is Artlist and how it changed the music industry and the content creators industry. My name is Amit Weiner and I'm a composer for film and TV and my mission on this podcast is to help you grow your music career. This episode is all about Artlist, about music for sync and how to write music for sync, how to put your music in TV shows, advertisements and YouTube videos and let's hear it from Ori Vinicor, head of music and sounds in Artlist himself. The guys that founded Artlist, one of them was a video creator himself and he always says, I invented something I needed. So he knew something that was a need of video creators which was maybe not that well known. So Artlist was the first to kind of jump on the wagon there and understand that there's a new generation of video creators. They don't have lawyers. They don't have big budgets. They just do videos for YouTube back then. They didn't even make a lot of money. I think today some people make an incredible living of their content or video content. But back then it was all very small businesses and they basically had no resources to get music legally. The interesting part of the story is that when we're going to have to talk a lot about YouTube, okay? Because YouTube is the center of where video creation started about 10 years ago. So when YouTube started, it was basically a social platform for video sharing, right? And it had no... no infrastructure for licensing management and basically you could upload any videos with any music you wanted that changed dramatically in 2013 it's over 10 years ago already um, when YouTube established content ID content ID is a technology that uses very similar elements to Shazam for audio recognition that basically finds matches of audio content in video content This was done because all the major labels, once YouTube became very big, and today, by the way, YouTube is the biggest broadcaster on Earth. If you take all the big networks on Earth combined, YouTube is bigger. So it's bigger than BBC, CNN, Fox News. Combine all of these together, more people watch YouTube. Basically, everybody watches YouTube. I think everybody knows that too, right? So at the beginning, YouTube was just a sharing platform, no advertising, no money involved. The minute they started adding advertising on top of YouTube, Of videos which I think we all know that we press a video and an advertisement jumps on our face right the minute that happened and they started monetizing on content the major labels or the major copyright owners of music came to YouTube and said hey if you're making money with our music in the background we need to get paid for the license Welcome to Rewind, an optimistic podcast that'll help you in your successful career in music. Amit Weiner hosts musicians, composers, professors, and sound wizards as they share their life stories and career decisions. Stay tuned. It's going to be epic. Hello to all the listeners and welcome to another episode of Rewind, the podcast that will help you grow your music career. Our guest today is Ori Vinicor, Head of Music and Sounds at Artlist. Ori, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for inviting me, Amit, and hello, everybody. And thank you for inviting me to Artlist Beautiful Studios here in uh, Tel Aviv. It's such a lovely place and it's such a wonderful experience to record here this episode. Thank you. You're super welcome. And yeah, this is our uh, humble studio or in the facility where we produce and create all the music for Artlist. Wonderful. Our question this episode is, what is Artlist and how it changed the music industry and the world of content creators? But first, let me introduce you to all the listeners. Ori, in his current role as head of music and sounds at Artlist, skillfully leads a team of over 50 professionals and a roster of thousands of artists worldwide. Wow. That's true. Wow. His responsibilities encompass the management of the company's audio catalogs and music operations, the development of music business initiatives, and the oversight of every music-related product feature. Ori started in Artlist at, in uh, 2019, contributing significantly during the company's early stage, 
and he established the artist original music production house which has evolved into one of the world's foremost music production entities producing a staggering 2,000 tracks annually in collaboration with the global network of talents uh, talented artists and producers wow yeah it's all true facts <laughs> Ori what is artist and how it changed the world of music creators and content creators as yeah. well well that's of course a great question and I'm happy to tell this story so um, I'm fortunate enough uh, like you said to be part of artist for the past five years which is the mo- most of the time that the company exists I joined the company at a very early stage and kind of had the privilege of establishing a lot of the music operations but also seeing how artist evolved into what it is and made a very big impact and revolution you could say almost in the content creator economy um, but to tell the story from where it started so artist was established about seven years ago uh, I think went on air six and a half years ago if I'm not mistaken and was basically the first platform of To date back then to offer uh, sync licensing under a subscription so sync licensing for video was a very kind of old-schooled world in mostly like you you would have to get a sync license for every use you you wanted for video um, and I think seven years ago was the beginning of the emerging wave or generation of new content creators which today of course is huge and I really remember like five years ago when we used to talk about it it was a very small thing or like a niche almost today I think creator economy is so well known as as a big thing and a big industry and a very very fast growing industry but I think when artist started seven years ago it's the guys that founded artist one of them was a video creator himself and he always says I invented something I needed so he knew something that was a need of video creators which was maybe not that well known so artist was the first to kind of jump on the wagon there and understand that there's a new generation of video creators they don't have lawyers they don't have big budgets they just do videos for YouTube back then they didn't even make a lot of money I think today some people make an incredible living of their content or video content but back then it was all very small businesses and they basically had no resources to get music legally and The interesting part of the story is that when we, we're gonna have to talk a lot about YouTube okay because YouTube is the center of where video creation started about 10 years ago so when YouTube started it was basically a social platform for video sharing right and it had no no infrastructure for licensing management and basically you could upload any videos with any music you wanted that changed dramatically in 24 where 13 it's over 10 years ago already um, when YouTube established content ID content ID is a technology that uses very similar elements to Shazam for audio of recognition that basically finds matches of audio content in video content this was done because all the major labels once YouTube became very big and today by the way YouTube is the biggest broadcaster on earth if you take all the big networks on earth combined YouTube is bigger than So it's bigger than BBC CNN Fox News combine all of these together more people watch YouTube basically everybody watches YouTube I think everybody knows that too right so at the beginning YouTube was just a sharing platform no advertising no money involved the minute they started adding advertising on top of of videos which I think we all know that we press a video and an advertisement jumps on our face right the minute that happened and they started monetizing on content and The major labels or the major copyright owners of music came to YouTube and said, "Hey, if you're making money with our music in the background, we need to get paid for the license." And since YouTube understood that the scale of videos is so enormous, and just to give you a ballpark of what's happening on YouTube, I think the current number is that 700 hours of video content is uploaded every minute to YouTube. 700 hours if a I'm minute not, if I'm not mistaking that's the number or an hour sorry 700 hours an hour okay either way either if you way. would want to ch- watch what was uploaded to YouTube during one day you would have to spend more than your lifetime so that's what you should understand the amount of video that goes live on YouTube every second and every day is incredible and I think YouTube understood very early on they can't manage licensing like old school how how was licensing managed on TV and so on? You would produce a show for TV or a film 
and you would have to get a license for using the music and then report it per use, but it was very slow pace. TV shows are not made 700 hours a minute, right? So, or aired uh, in that capacity. So YouTube understood that they have to build a technological solution for this issue. That's when they invented content ID. They spent a lot of money on it, a lot of development, many years also in the making. Until today, it's the most advanced uh, music licensing technology available to any platform that I know of. Nobody has anything similar to that extent. And, but that, what that created was what a lot of people know as YouTube claims or YouTube flags. Because the minute they established the, the operating system, When somebody used a Michael Jackson song on a video, he would get a flame or a, a flag or a claim, sorry, not a flame. Uh, and um, sometimes even they would block the channel or stop the, you from the ability to upload your video. When that happened, there, uh, the, that's the moment that there was a new need of millions of video creators to get a digital license for their content. And I think Artlist was right there in the right time. Ira, one of our co-founders and co-CEO, was exactly one of those video creators that kept getting stuck without a proper license for music. And he had this idea, why don't we build a Spotify for music licensing? Why shouldn't it be a catalog with a subscription? Easy to pay, easy to use, one license. Nobody needs to work with paperwork and get all lawyers and approvals in the pipeline. Uh, and that idea was so brilliant uh, back then That I think Artlist was established with a very pretty small investment. I think they aired the first platform was aired with 600 songs. The joke is that they didn't even have a genre filter at the first version of the website. It was just a list of songs. And it became profitable on week two on air, because the actual business model for creators was so good, the idea of offering it under a subscription took the world by storm. I think it took less than a year. For any competitor, any kind of digital platform for music, like Audio Jungle or Epidemic Sound and stuff like that, they all copied the subscription uh, model in less than a year because I think they understood, okay, this is where it's going. Uh, but Artlist was there on the prime of it and it became very successful. Um, so basically, what Artlist brought, the new element that they brought into this world was first and foremost the licensing method and the pricing method. But also the brand, and that's very important to say because I think Artlist till today, six years forward, is still very unique in the sense that we work with real artists, with real music. We present all our artists on front. If you go to any kind of sync licensing platform, you won't really see the artist. It would be more like a list of songs, right? So Artlist is really like the Spotify of licensing. You, you get music from sourced from real musicians, All of our music is also available on Spotify and does very well commercially as well. So it's the combination between a great business model for creators that was then, again, a rising new uh, uh, economy or group of people that really became a huge sector, you know, of people creating content on a daily basis and the combination of great high-end content for them to use. So... That combination did so well that the company grew very, very fast. Um, Artlist became a 500-employee company in five years. That's pretty remarkable, definitely. Uh, if you look at Israel, it's, I think, the fastest-growing startup in Israel, if I'm not mistaken, regardless of the sector. Uh, definitely in the music or art sector, for sure. Um, and yeah, today we're serving millions of creators worldwide, which is incredible. And I was very fortunate to uh, join early on and establish our original music uh, arm at the beginning, which was at the beginning very small. I used to produce tracks with producers, local producers here in Israel. And like you said in your very kind intro, today it upscaled to 2,000 tracks a year. And it's actually one of the biggest production houses on earth, maybe the biggest one that I know of. I think very few companies have such a big operation to produce music. We release about three to five albums a day on Artlist, so that's like, no label does that. <laughs> um, so it's really insane, and yeah, we're very fortunate. We work with people from all around the world. We have talent that, and we can talk about it uh, if you want, the discovery mechanism that Artlist allows artists is so incredible that we have artists that build careers out of their work with Artlist. 
and the exposure they get on our platform. Yeah, so how big is the catalog if you can, from what you can share? How big is the catalog? How many songs and how many artists? And what is the difference between, you said, artist original? You spoke about the original. What's the difference between the original and the other aspect of the catalog? So I'll start with the last question. So when I joined the company, we had some tracks that were orig- original already because it was made by some of the founders of the company, Asaf Ayalon and Eyal Raz. Um, so we had some original content that was just owned by the founders, okay? But because we understood we have to scale up very quickly, again, because it became successful so quickly, we had to get a lot of music fast. Uh, and what a lot of catalogs do when they need to scale up fast is they open some sort of a pipeline to accept existing materials. So that's what we did, and we opened a pipeline that we call external A&R. We basically receive submissions from independent artists and musicians. Uh, we receive thousands of those a month. We accept a very small portion of it, um, and it's another topic to discuss. We're very highly curated, so we choose, we're very picky with what we choose. So the catalog today in total is 28,000 tracks. Just to give you a reference, Spotify today or streaming services upload around 100,000 tracks a day. So at least in six, seven years, we have 28, so we're thousand. So we're very, very picky. There's a reason to that. We can discuss it further. So we accept music externally made, uh, pre-made. And, um, and again, we're very picky there, but from that aspect, when we receive a song, we pay royalties per download. So it's very, very similar uh, to the way streaming is paid out, but it's sync licensing under a subscription, but again, very similar model. And when I joined, we established the original department, which produces original music for the catalog. Today, it's about 8,000 songs out of the 28. Um, and the very cool thing there is there, we produce everything in-house, we built a label infrastructure to distribute all the music to Spotify and all the streaming services. We manage the copyrights on a global um, administration, which is great because it collects a lot of royalties for, for all the artists as well. Um, and yeah, today we're actually mainly focusing on our original productions, which is, like we said, very big. It's about 2,000 tracks a year. Um, in terms of artists, which you also asked, we work with over 1,200 different artists worldwide. Not all of them are active at the same time, but that's our, the size of our roster. We keep growing it all the time. We sign about 300 artists a year. So yeah, it's an upscaling uh, worldwide operation. Amazing. So I'm sure most of the listeners or all of the listeners are musicians, and when they hear you speak about Arlist and its uh, huge growth, they are asking their, themselves, how can I join? So first of all, could, can you answer the question, how, if a musician is now listening from the US, from Europe, from anywhere in the world, and he wants to join either the original uh, department or the external? Very, very simple. When you go to the burger menu on Artlist.io, which is open, by the way, to everybody, everybody can log into Artlist and just check everything. You don't even need to log in, sorry, just go to the website, it's all open, you can listen to the music there, you can see the entire platform. And in the burger menu on the left, you can find a section called Become an Artist, and there you can just apply with your music. And we have a, an amazing team that does all the curation there, and they would choose if it should go to original or external. Or I see. And what would be your tips from your experience to which music should uh, they submit? What is the best music for sync? Yeah, so that, that's, I think, one of the questions that I get asked the most is this question. And unfortunately, I always have to answer the exact same thing. There is no answer to this question. And, but but it's, uh, it opens the door to a very interesting topic. I think soundtrack music 15 years ago used to be something that we would all, musicians definitely would categorize as maybe a bit of B-class music, or at least it would always be cinematic, classical, or very kind of stocky soundtrack music, right? One thing that really changed, and for me was a big revelation joining Artlist, and I'm so, so happy about it too, and uh, I think that's the reason that we wanted to build a record label behind it and everything is that because of the fact that the content creator world expanded so much and video creation today is not necessarily film or a TV series, it's actually, it could be anything. And it's so global 
and people from all over the world and from all different kinds of backgrounds create video, they need different kinds of music. And if you look on today's, the most, I guess, influential platform for music discovery is TikTok, right? Everybody knows that today. Five years ago, it was like, I used to talk to people about the discovery of music through video and it was like, what, what are you talking about, right? But I think... Today, everybody knows that video is the discovery mechanism or social is the discovery mechanism for music, what radio used to be years back, right? And if you think about it, the video that's uploaded to socials could be anything. And a huge percentage of the music that these creators are looking for is just real music. They would use their favorite artist if they could, right? They, but they can't get that license. So the answer to your question is, There is no stylistic or genreistic answer to this question. We actually produce for originals or in general what we accept for artist catalog could go anywhere from classic ethnic Indian music to cutting edge trap or to orchestral music uh, all the way down to heavy rock. Whatever it is, it could work. It depends on if it's good enough, first of all. <laughs> We're very, very picky in terms of quality. Um, and it's again part of the brand that I, I discussed before we're very picky we take real artists real music it should go well even with not as a soundtrack that's one of the things that we're always considering of course there's music that's more fitting to video I think there's a, there's a lot to discuss there but it's very per genre so for example if you look on hip-hop there's specific kind of hip-hop that would go maybe better for video and A lot of the times it would actually have to do with the lyrics or the message, not as much as the music, for example. Um, but I think what you need to, to think about if you're an artist that wants to apply, do I want to get my music out there on videos? That's all. And then you would know the answer, kind of, you know, like what kind of video creator would use my music and why? That's the best kind of way of thought I can think of or mindset I can think of to tell young musicians that want to break through that process. path you know and I think very similar if you think about it in the 60s I'm sure musicians were thinking I want to get played by that DJ on the radio right so it's the same thing it's yeah. really similar but is it usually or mostly instrumental music or vocal no, music not or necessarily both? it's definitely both I think today even we create more music with vocals than without and again think about it a huge portion of videos today is shorts or stories or TikToks Those would normally have a very strong lyric tagline, right? So lyrics is that's, that's exactly the revolution. Soundtrack music is, is not what it used to be. Yeah. It's not in the background necessarily too. Some videos have the soundtrack as the front track, right? And the video is even kind of this, on the side of the actual song that leads the video. So it's, uh, I think the, the art form of video creation ch- changed so dramatically and became so accessible. To a whole new generation of people a global span of like throughout the globe everything goes and again I think any song we upload on art list has uses and people download it even if it's the most niche thing that you would never imagine it going into videos it would so it's really interesting it's not what it used to be and for us what we do in general maybe that's a good guideline too When we produce music for original, I keep saying we make music for picture without seeing the picture. We're imagining where it could go. So if you imagine this song would go really well on TikTok stories, then you know what to do. Or you think, you know what, this would be great for a YouTube travel channel where you see a lot of nature and landscape footage. You know what to do. It's not a genreistic thing. It's more of the how it's going to fit a video. I think it's a wonderful tip for any composer or producer that wants to go into sync music. Uh, the sync industry just to imagine the picture because you don't have the picture like in regular film scoring or you know what you don't even have to imagine you can go to YouTube open a channel you like and mute it and compose right into the what you see which uh, and see how the, your music influenced and fits the images and or let's go back to the first question so you described very uh, detailed what is artist and what is your uh, role in artist as head of music and sounds right? So what is your role nowadays? So today I'm um, like you said a little bit in your intro, I'm uh, leading everything that has to do with music. When I joined uh, initially, I was there to establish the original side of things. but after less than two years I was promoted to head of music because and I didn't say this and it's important. 
exactly when I was promoted to head of music was in parallel to when the company expanded into more catalogs. So everything at Artly started from music, but we expanded to have sound effects, footage catalog, template catalog, and a plug-in catalog for video creators. So today it's like a multiple catalog, multi-category, um, one-stop shop for video creators. So when that happened, um, of course, everything expanded. Um, and the person that was head of music before me, Eyal Raz, one of the founders, he became CCO, like chief content officer in charge of all the content. And I was promoted to head of music. So since then, I'm basically the pinpoint person to anything that has to do with music. Of course, I oversee in detail the original production side, the artist signing side. Um, we do a lot of work behind the scene in terms of curation and tagging of the music. So of course, I'm also overseeing that side of things. Um, I was very much involved in everything that has to do with rights management and the label services that we do. Today, it's already a very big team. It started actually with my own two hands, uh, but now it's a very big team handling it. Uh, yeah, and as it evolves, um, things keep growing and changing. But I think, again, I'm the main person... For music, so whether it's for everybody that works under the music teams, I'm their manager and their leader, and anybody that needs anything from parallel sides of the company. So if we're working on a new recommendation feature on the front side, I would be there to help advise on how to build it. And if there's a new uh, any new feature, any new business initiative, like you said, we're doing a lot of biz dev work today. Kind of developing new partnerships in the music world so I'm also very much active in that side of things so interesting so I want to ask you about a topic that usually comes up in all Facebook groups about um, film music and music for sync the royalty free issue so could you describe because I know artlist is actually not really royalty free catalog right it's, uh, not even that royalty free is not really royalty free <laughs> okay so could you describe what is royalty free and what is your perspective and artlist's perspective on royalty free music it's not even I have to say it doesn't have to do with artlist I think royalty free music is probably the most confusing term ever to be used in the music industry and I'll explain why you got us curious right now <laughs> yeah I'm sure it took me actually I'll be honest and say I think it took me about six months When I started at Artlist to get it myself because it's really hard to understand, but I think I can simplify it. The term what you need to, to uh, I think um, first of all, kind of to organize in order to understand this. yeah when you want music for video, there's a few elements that you need to pay for or get a license, okay? First, you need to get a license, meaning you get, need the approval of the copyright owner of the music to sync. The music to video why is it called sync because you sync the music into a new timeline that's why the word sync is there so the first element is sync licensing I'm asking for the permission let's say Amit produced a great song I'm producing a video I want to use your music I would come over and say hey Amit I'm working on this film this video can you allow me the use of your song you would say yes but I would need you to pay me a royalty for the sync and this is very important so the In the old world, this was a negotiation, just like we just had the mock-up of. And you would say, I want $1,000 for this sync, for the placement, the actual placement of the music in the video. So the first element is sync licensing. And that's the process that actually artists wanted to simplify. Because exactly. you cannot do that uh, on seven, seven, 700 hours a of day. Video. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Okay. Now, the thing is this. It used to work in a sense that you would tell me, "I'm working on this film, I'm going to air it in the US." So I would tell you, "Okay, I'll give you the sync licensing for your film in the US, and it would cost you a thousand dollars. But if you're going to do anything else, like let's say you want to sell your film to Europe, you come back to me because it's a different sync placement. The term royalty free in the sync industry today basically refers just to this part that we discussed. What does it mean? An artist subscriber pays, pays a subscription to get the sync placement fee covered. And that's why it's royalty free because he can use it everywhere, wherever they need. It used to be called a needle drop license. Needle drop meaning one time. You get the sync permission for your video. You pay me whatever we discuss. You get the license. That's it. You're not going to pay additional royalties for the sync itself, no matter what you do with your video. That's what royalty free means. There's no additional royalties for the sync placement. However, and this is why it's very, very confusing, once you sync the song to video, 
and you broadcast your video, whether it's on YouTube, whether it's on TV, wherever it is, there's a new element uh, involved called public performance. For public performance, meaning if somebody watches your video on YouTube, video, uh, YouTube makes a lot of money out of, off of views, right? Of all the advertisements. There's public performance there. Public performance is collected by PROs and PROs collect royalties for public performance, not for sync licensing. Let's just ex- explain PROs are perf- uh, performance, performance rights, rights organization. Like BMI, ASCAP in the US, exactly. PRS in the UK, GEMA in uh, yes. Germany and so on. Now the so main on. confusion is people think royalty free means I'm not going to pay for public performance, but no, that's a very big mistake and it's not about art list. Any royalty free artist Catalog is the same. It's royalty-free for the sync. It's a needle drop license for sync. That's what it really is. It should be called needle drop. Needle drop means like a, like a vinyl record. You put the needle on and that's it. That's why it's called the needle drop. It's only royalty-free for the sync licensing, not for public performance, not even for mechanical royalties, not for any other kind of, of uh, money that's being monetized or collected for the broadcasting of the actual video. That's super interesting, and I think most com- composers got it uh, a little bit wrong because sure. they think that royalty-free means the royalties from the PROs. PROs. Yeah. Now, some licenses include a, cle- a pre-clearance of public performance, but it has nothing to do with royalty-free. When people use the term royalty-free, mm-hmm. again, it means one-time licensing sync fee. Some licenses also include... additional clearance of public performance but that's normally paid in a, in addition and it's actually not even referred to as royalty free it's called clearance of public performance royalty. so let's just give an example so if I'm composing a track for artist original mm-hmm. whenever uh, a client uses my track mm-hmm. and then air it on the BBC mm-hmm. I'm getting um, the performance royal- public perf- performance from the BBC that pays it through the PRS through my PRO whether it's uh, PRS, that's PMI even more complicated if you want the it's also but complicated but easy to explain public performance is collected on a territorial based method meaning and that's the old-school world by the way if if it was aired or broadcasted in the UK it would be collected by PRS which is the UK PRO if it was aired in the US it would be collected by ASCAP or BMI and You get paid as a writer through your own PRO, okay? Let's say you're registered in Israel under ACUM. Then PROs have, they call it like a sisterhood. They have basically a partnership when they say, okay, here's a, somebody used Amit's song in the US. BMI collects the public performance for it. They see the cue sheet or the information. And they say, okay, this is a song by Amit. Where is he? He's, is he signed to us? No. He's signed to Akum, so they would transfer the money to Akum. I would give you a very good tip here. The best thing you can do as a composer and writer is spread and register yourself in various PROs around the world. Definitely if you know you're being uh, broadcasted in other countries than where you're located. And today, something like Artlist, a service like Artlist, makes it very, very easy for composers to get aired globally. We have people writing songs in Japan and being aired in Romania, whatever. I'm just giving you an example. Now, what we just described, like the sisterhood of PROs, the money traveling between PROs all the way to the writer, it's a very long way. It could take over a year for that money to arrive to the writer. And if we'll be very honest, most of the times, not all the amounts get to the destination. So one of the best uh, tips I give artists and writers is, Is registering a few different PROs you can exclude territories so if you're based in the US I would say you should need to register to BMI or ask up for US only you need to have at least one or two European PROs and if you know that you're being played or broadcasted in Asia I would have one in Asia if you know you're being broadcasted in Australia the same otherwise you're you're staying you're leaving yourself far away from the money source that's a wonderful and very important tip you It is, and it could actually worth a lot of money to people. I can honestly say I know a lot of stories today of our own artists that did this a year or two ago, and they saw hundreds of percents of rise in their PRO statements once they were globally scattered properly. Wow. So, Ori, I think most of the listeners might think that you're a lawyer, but you're actually a musician and a producer. So That's I want to talk about you, because I, I've told you a couple of times that I think 
that as a musician, you, you're one of the musicians that understand the mostly about all the royalties and all the uh, performance royalties that I know of, because it is a very, very difficult... Complex world. Yeah, complex world. So I want to talk about you as a musician and as a producer as well. So before Artlist, you produced uh, many albums for... internationally famed musicians like Asaf Avidan and so on. So could you tell your own story up until Artlist? Of course. So um, for me, basically, since I can remember myself, the only thing that I was, the only thing I cared about was music. Me too. I used to point <laughs> on records before. Yeah. <laughs> I used to point on records before I could speak. And I think Sometimes I kind of, um, I'm sorry I didn't have that stage in my life, but I never had to wonder what am I going to do when I grow up. It was, I don't even remember a situation of deciding I'm going to do music. It was always 100% sure I'm into music. I also remember as a kid, I used to listen to records, a lot of Beatles records, and I always looked on the record label logo, like, and I, like Columbia Records or EMI, and I used to say, what is it? What's happening there on that side of things? It was always very interesting to me. And I think from a very early age, I started to be very interested in record production. When I was 13, I asked my, uh, my uh, English aunt that came to visit to buy me a four-track machine, which was then the only way to record at home anything outside the studio. And I used to really try to record things, multi-track, and understand how you do all these things and so on. And I was always very, very curious about that. I spent most of my high school years playing bands. Um, and I did like I graduated in music uh, with a music recital so I composed music I played music for many years when I left school when you said you played music it was guitar which instrument? no so yeah interesting I started off playing the saxophone for four years at a young age like I think at the age of 11 to 15 or 14 then I moved to electric guitar A little bit and eventually I played bass but it was mainly because all the bands in my hometown Jerusalem they needed a bass player so I said okay if I play bass everybody's wanted to go on once the bass player and I ended up I think in high school I played in eight different bands or something I spent most of my high school years in rehearsal rooms playing bass <laughs> which became my main instrument but I play a little bit of everything a little bit of piano a little bit of drums um, and I think by the way it gave me a lot of very relevant experience to become a producer because I can play a little bit of everything um, of any instrument I guess so when I left high school um, I was still playing in many bands I toured I had my own band Kululush we toured the world for a long time uh, the US and Canada and Europe but I was also I also started to work as a sound engineer uh, in my hometown of Jerusalem uh, in a place called the Yellow Samarine and which was a great, great incubator for me because it had rehearsal rooms, it had live shows, it had a studio. So I kind of got a chance to see everything. And I think I was there for about six years as a sound engineer and in parallel had a very busy, active career as a musician, like with the band and so on. And then I think I was very fortunate to meet Asaf Avidan at a very early stage of his career and we connected very quickly. And I kind of joined this band as a producer. That's what basically happened because I wasn't a producer yet. I didn't produce any record before that. But I think meeting him made me realize that everything I did up to that time of my life was all the crafts you need to become a record producer. I understood music, understood what it means to be a musician, a writer, understood all the technical side of recording. Um, and I think... It took myself even a second to understand, you know what, I need to be a producer. I think the person that really helped me with that was Yossi Fine, which you might know is a legendary guru of musicians here in Israel and an incredible producer. And I think I was at a crossroad in my life. I came to a coaching session with him and I told him everything I did. And he told me, what do you want? You're a producer. You should become, a, that's what you are already. You just need to tell yourself you're a producer because that's what you need to know how to do. Your experience helps people produce records. <laughs> Um, and that's how I basically became a record producer full-time eventually. I, Asafa Vidan was the first record I produced was The Reckoning, which I think still today is the most successful Israeli album ever in history, which is incredible. We did it with a lot of feeling and uh, intent and not a lot of knowledge and experience. 
Um, and sometimes I miss that, by the way. But basically, yeah, and Asafa Vidan was basically a meteor in the local scene and was probably the artist who emerged, the biggest emerging artist out of Israel into the international market. We got signed to Sony Colombia, that same label I used to look at. I remember that moment when, when we got signed to Sony Colombia, I was like, the kid that used to watch that logo was very satisfied <laughs> at that point. Uh, uh, it is, it is. I remember that very well. And um, and yeah, I think that opened the door for me to become a full-time record producer. And then I spent almost 10 years mainly, mainly producing records. I opened my own studio with, a part, with my dear partner Yuval Yuvi in Tel Aviv. That was a great place for seven years, the Slick Studio. And we, I produced a lot of records there as well. Um, throughout my production career, I don't even know the numbers, but I produced hundreds of songs. That's for sure. I think over a thousand songs probably. And recorded and engineered a lot, mixed a lot, mastered a lot. So did the whole thing. And I was lucky to work with great, great artists, local and global. Um, and I think at the height of my production career, I started becoming very, very... I was always very interested in technology and innovation. And I think you can say producers are always very interested in innovation. It's part of the same kind of uh, beast, I guess. You know, you want to... You keep getting updated on everything new in the studio, so you're very kind of, I guess, on the innovative side of things. And I was always very much interested in technology. At a very young age, I remember the first computer, you know, it was like I didn't leave the house for a month when we got the first computer. So I was always very, very curious about technology and very curious about the connection and music and technology. And before Artlist, I, I joined a small startup that uh, tried to build a collaborative platform for musicians it ended up pivoting to become an educational platform for musicians called Musico, which was actually pretty successful for some time. It was a very cool tool to study music online. And then, and I kept saying to myself, you know what, my next step is something with music and technology. Like, I did so many records, I kind of, I don't want to say I got tired of the studio, but I think I, I needed a break, to be honest. I didn't even know how much I needed that break because I spent so many days and hours recording in recording sessions down in the basement in the studio, you know, and I kind of wanted to move on a little bit. Uh, and that's exactly when Artlist approached me at a very early stage of the of the company, um, which was five and a half years ago. And they offered me to join, at a, again, at a very early stage, and I was lucky and fortunate to join that the incredible journey that this company did and also have the privilege of uh, contributing a lot to the growth of the music which we, I think we discussed in full already. So, yeah, that's my story in, in brief till today. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, this podcast is called Rewind, an optimistic podcast about career in music. And I'd like to hear your optimistic. It doesn't have to be optimistic, of course, but I'd like to hear your perspective on AI-generated music, which mm -hmm. is a very hot topic these days. We're recording this uh, episode at the beginning of 2024. Yeah. And every week or so, a new AI tool from music companies like Output and Cinesamples. Yes. One, uh, a new one by, by Cinesamples just came out, I think, two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. So what is your own vision of AI-generated music and how do you deal with the competition maybe? I mean, will it uh, eliminate our jobs as uh, creators and as musicians? What, what is your perspective on all that? Okay, so first of all, I would definitely need to separate it into two from what you said. AI and music is a very, very wide subject, but if we look mainly on kind of creation and generative audio, I would still divide it into two. There's a lot of stuff being done on the creative tool side, which is like output releasing a generative sample tool. And there's full generative audio like Suno AI, if you know Suno is definitely the best generative audio I've heard to date, which basically attempts to create full tracks out of prompts or very basic inputs. So that's two different things. I would start with the first one. You're saying there are two different things because one is a tool for the composers and the other should be should replace the composers? That's Not the reason? should, but that's the risk of replacing composers is more on that side. Let's say a sample generator is not going to replace composers, it comes to help composers. So I think 
And that's an easy, easier subject to discuss. I think AI is incredible when it comes to creative tools because I think, of course, you could be very afraid of it and say, wait, I used to sit down and uh, try to compose something for hours and now I can write a sentence and it will do half of the work. So you could be afraid of that as a composer or you could say, hey, wait, if I don't have to do all that hard work, what can I invest my time in? Probably something very creative, very interesting. So everything that has to do with creative tools, AI-based creative tools, in my opinion, is incredible. It's going to take creativity to the... It's already taking creativity up to the next step. And I think if you look on the revolution of music recording and production methods, you see it all the time. This one is just maybe faster and bigger. But think about it that when Pink Floyd made Dark Side of the Moon, they had to spend hours cutting tape. Now, of course, there's some sort of art that comes from that restriction, right? I'm, I'm guessing the track Money wouldn't sound the same if it was done on a computer editor. So, but every era has its own thing that brings creativity or the spark of creativity to the table. And you always have to work with some sort of restrictions. I think the main thing that's very different with the AI revolution, it's all, it feels almost restriction-less. Like you could do anything out of anything, But again, it's a matter of how you approach it. You can be very afraid of it and say, wow, it's going to kill creativity or kill the jobs of creative people. Or you could say, and that's where, more where I am, you could say it's going to take creativity to the next level because, first of all, you can't stop progress. Progress always goes in one direction, which is forward. You said rewind is the name of the podcast, but the reality keeps going forward. So going forward, it, for me, it never makes sense to kind of romanticize on the past too much you know so I think it's going forward the question is what good can you do with it I think it's going to clear a lot of waste time when it comes to audio editing or even just creative block let's say you want to get into the studio and do something and you're totally blocked you can prompt something and get a pack of samples and here you go you get started you know so I think it's a matter of approach if we approach it positively in the side of creative tools, It's just great. It's better tools. It's smarter. It could help you. Um, I'm using ChatGPT constantly. It just helps me to do more, not less. You know, I don't feel like it could ever replace me in anything I do. It just gives me a lot more power. Same with creative tools, I think, in general, whether it's composing helpers, mixing helpers, uh, sample generators, whatever you name it. And there's a lot of stuff happening in that field. And I think that's all a blessing, just a blessing. I knew you, you were going to be optimistic about it. I had the feeling about it, and I actually agree with you. I mean, li- just like mastering tools like Ozone, mm-hmm. that is a, an AI mastering tool that, tool that helps musicians and helps amateurs to do uh, this, uh, this stage of their productions, like the mastering stage, maybe just, you know, um, play with it around and then send it to a professional mastering engineer, and maybe just uh, this there, will there, be the final mastering. I think you can mastering. say there are less mastering engineers For sure, since all these tools are here. And sometimes you get a kid out of school producing a track and mastering it, and it sounds incredible. But, and nobody could fight that. If it sounds incredible, it sounds incredible. And I think it's very similar. You know, when the, the camera was invented, they said it's going to take painters, painters out of their job, and it did. A little bit, it did. But it left the very, very good painters around. And I think that's exactly what's happening with AI. And it created a new job, which is... Uh, And then you can say the same about Instagram. It killed a lot of photographers because everybody became a photographer. But first of all, you get a lot more people being able to express themselves through photography. And the real, real good photographers are still there. Now, this is very interesting because if we look on the other side of generative audio, which is full track generation like Suno or different models by Meta and so on, This is where I think people get scared, maybe more uh, rightfully so, because what happens if I can just write a sentence, and it already happens, and get a full song made, which might have taken, in the past, could have taken months to produce, right? So there you can say, hey, it's going to replace everybody making songs. And I say, you know what? No, I think it's going to be a natural filter, which is very well needed. We said before, right? A hundred thousand songs are released to Spotify a day. Nobody listens to all that music either way, right? So I think the world, in many ways, the streaming world, 
and the accessibility of creative tools already before AI for music made it so easy for people to produce music that everybody releases music. A lot of people release music. And I think if it used to be in the 60s and 70s, the record labels were the filters, the A&R filters. In many ways, I think this new technology is going to become the next filter, just like the camera killed painters as a job but left the top-end painters as artists. Same with music. So I think AI generative music would kill a lot of hobbyist or semi-amateur musicians, but it would never replace the top, top-end talent that would probably be using a lot of AI tools to create next-level music. So I think it's going, that's the optimistic view of it anyway. Of course, you can say it's going to change a sector of professionals. Yes, it's going to, for sure. I think you'll have to be a fool to say it won't. And if you look on history, it's exactly what every time it happens when there's a new technology revolution or an actual life-changing revolution, you would see certain professions drop. Makes sense. If there's going to be an automated car, there's not going to be a lot of taxi drivers anymore, right? So, but it would free up time. I always look on the, I'm trying to look on, Albert Einstein said there's no empty space. When, when you drink water out of a glass, it's not getting empty. It's getting filled with air. I don't know if most people don't know it, but that's what happens. So it's a matter of how you see things, right? I see I really like the optimistic that side. <laughs> yeah, it's really optimistic and it actually fits this uh, podcast a lot. It's not looking at the half empty glass. It's looking at both uh, halves of the glass as full. Even the, em- the, the half empty, uh, the e- whoa. I got confused. Even the half that is empty is actually not empty. It's full with air. It's full. There is no empty space. There is no empty space in physics. There's no such thing. The only empty space known to science is black holes. <laughs> And we can't live in black holes. So there's no f- empty space. So I think AI is going to change things. It's going to empty. Um, you can't see me, but I'm, I'm using the dashes. It's going to... empty something but leave room for something new so then something new is more interesting if you ask me wow Ori one before the last question so for, first of all thank you so much for your time this has been a really really uh, wonderful episode so far full of insights and even your uh, optimistic vision and perspective on AI and on uh, musicians jobs I think is very very valuable and will help a lot of people that are asking many questions themselves these days So one before the last question, first of all, what would be your tips for emerging musicians these days? I mean, you've seen many musicians, thousands of musicians, I, I suppose, uh, in many stages of their career. So what would you say to a musician nowadays that comes to you and asks you, what should I do with my music career at the first stages? Wow, it depends if the tips you're looking for are on a philosophical or practical level. But I think very important today is to be yourself. It's one thing I think... It's super important to say, even taking under account everything we discussed, there's going to be tools that can create a lot of the same. What's going to stand out is people with a real artistic identity, with a real statement, with a real say, something to say to the world. I think you need to be yourself and you need to perfect yourself, being yourself, the craft of being yourself. Second, I think every artist today needs to consider themselves as some sort of a startup in terms of mindset. Because it's definitely, at least until you get somewhere, definitely in an independent world for, for at least your first few years in the business. And I think the better you manage yourself, the better you'll be also when you get managers and labels signing you. And I do meet some super talented new generation musicians which are acting like that, like really managing themselves as if they were a business or a startup they need to evolve or develop. And you see what happens with these people. It's different than the more, I'm just an artist, I'm going to sing songs. So it's be yourself, look on yourself as a business, slowly build a team. That's a very important part as well. <laughs> uh, about this, the, the former point that you've said, so you would suggest like uh, a band or a singer-songwriter to really invest uh, early on in their career on everything that... they think that the management will take care of, right? I mean, don't just hope that one day you'll find a manager that will... Nobody will come. No, no uh, magic fairy will come and save you. It's, it's, it maybe happens sometimes, but it's so rare today. 
that a talent just gets scouted. And if it does get scouted, it gets scouted because you already have 100,000 followers on Instagram or something, right? That's how people find people today or professionals find new talent. So if you sit and wait and just focus solely on making your art, you're most likely to stay in the basement, as you say. Now, I think there's a big challenge in being a real artist and, you know, doing your art full on. Combining it with the business side is always hard. So my best advice there is to be very practical about it, to say, you know what, I need to manage myself as a business, so I'm going to take two hours a day where I'm never that kind of inspirational. Let's say some people in the morning can't produce anything in terms of art. So be, a, be your business owner for those two hours a day. But look at it like that. Try to plan your time and spread it between the two elements of your career, which at the beginning means also being some sort of a business, Being yourself is the most important thing because if you really develop that, that magic fairy might arrive and help you, right? And hopefully drop some of the business uh, uh, needs away from you so you can focus more and more on just doing your art, which I think is what every artist wants to do at the end, right? Um, yeah, but you have to consider the, the, the um, barrier to go beyond... being your own business manager is much higher today. You need to do a lot more to get to that point normally. And as you've just said, it's, it's getting higher and higher with AI-generated music because there is a lot of simple and like um, generative music uh, that is not like unique. And again, but also in this sense, by the way, there's a lot of great tools for creativity with AI and also a lot of great management tools with AI. So using ChatGPT features, you can do a lot more work to manage your business much easier, for example, or faster, for sure. So, yeah, and I think that's one of my next tips and definitely relevant for this new age. Be very open to innovation and new tools. Very open. Adopt it fast. There's a great saying that uh, AI won't replace people. It will replace people that don't know how to use AI. So it, I think that's a great tip as well. Um, because you need to be very much on top of these things to kind of stay in the game. And I do think it's going to go very fast. Things are going to move faster than we knew. It's going to be harder to catch up, so always try to be on top of innovations. I think it is important to start building a team around you or people that you can work with, both on the creative and the business side of things. It's definitely something to aspire to. And there are so many outlets for you to be you, To be yourself and grow it so if it's your YouTube channel if it's your streaming profile whatever it is that you want to focus on if you do it well enough you can pretty early on start making money too so and once you do that you kind of everything starts to work you have more time to do your art you don't have to take a day job you can maybe take somebody to help you with your administration side of things so yeah be yourself and find the right channels out to the world is my best advice. Wow, wonderful ending to this episode. But one last question. I think I've asked you that a year ago. So what are your personal goals for five years from now? Maybe they've changed from the last time that I've asked last you that. Last time you asked me, I was confused. We did another podcast and I was exactly in a confused. So what is your vision to yourself in Artlist and for yourself as a musician, producer and manager in five years from now? Great question. So I think today I'm, I have a more clear uh, point of view. I think with Artlist, We're taking it to the max, kind of we're really growing uh, our, our music operation worldwide, and I see it becoming just the next generation of record labels in a way, you know, and I can't give details, but that's where it's heading, and I'm leading it that way, and I'm very excited about that. Uh, and I think artists would become a major player in the music industry, and that's where I see that that happening. And uh, on my more personal level, I see myself already expanding into more and more things. Um, I think there's a lot of revolutions to be made in the music industry, which I can take a part of, and I'm happy to say I'm already taking a small part of, and I want to keep doing that. I think there's so much to do in the, you know, taking under account everything we discussed. There's going to be so many new opportunities for musicians. I want to be there to help open those doors. I wanna I know that I have a very unique position because I'm for years standing on the intersection between music business and technology and I want to be there to help the traffic uh, move towards artists and to help them succeed 
wonderful ending for this episode, Ori Vinacor, head of music and sounds at artlist.io. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for listening. Thank you for all the tips that you've shared and all the information both about Artlist, about yourself, and also many, many valuable tips for musicians. I think this episode, every uh, musician should hear and think where he is right now and where he wants to be and how all these, these things can influence him as well. So thank Amazing. you so much. Thank you. And to all the listeners, thank you so much for your time and for tuning in. If you want to support the podcast, please rate it on Spotify or Apple Podcast. You can also leave a review on Apple Podcast or comment on the episode on Spotify. And feel free to ask any questions you might. You can reach me on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, and so on, and ask any question that you might have. I will see you in the next episode with another awesome guest. Stay tuned and thank you. Bye-bye. Welcome to Rewind, an optimistic podcast that'll help you in your successful career in music. Amit Weiner hosts musicians, composers, professors, and sound wizards as they share their life stories and career decisions. Stay tuned. It's going to be epic.